This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Hello and welcome to the Liverpool.com podcast. I'm James Martin and I'm on hosting duties this week. I'm joined by Matt Addison and Emmett Gates. I'm pretty sure that's a first time lineup on this show, which is perhaps fitting given what we're going to be talking about today. Uh, Watford are on the horizon and they have yet another new manager at the helm in Claudio Ranieri, who's taking over from Zisco Munoz just days after I'd learned his name. Uh, we'll be looking a bit at stability in football clubs in that kind of in that kind of vein, uh, both in terms of managers and players, and having a chat about the way Liverpool do things. Uh, so we'll dive straight in. Uh, there's definitely a contrast in models, isn't there, Matt? You've got Liverpool who are facing yet another new Watford manager in the first game following Klopp's six-year anniversary at the club. Um, did it seem to you from the outset like Klopp was always going to be a manager for the long term? I think so, yeah. <clears throat> I think there's there's sort of been a, a question, hasn't there, over how long has he been at, at each of his, his former clubs? Obviously, if he stays at, at Liverpool until 2024, that'll be longer than he was at, at Mainz or at, at Borussia Dortmund. But uh, yeah, I think it's... He's a manager. He's a project manager, isn't he? He's. I, I kind of. I don't like the the word project quite often within football. I think that's. You know, it's just one of those buzzwords that that we kind of hear a lot and and don't really explain what it means. But I think he's one of those that will build slowly. He doesn't necessarily go to clubs where there's loads of of resources. I think it, it kind of has to be, you know, an acceptance that it might take a couple of years. But the reward for being patient is that you get what Liverpool have had. And I think, yeah, you, you're right to say that. Obviously, Watford is the complete reverse of that model. It wouldn't surprise me at all if Claudio Ranieri was sacked before, well, before Christmas, to be honest with you. I mean, before Liverpool play Watford in the reverse fixture, <laughs> might they have a another new, new manager? I don't know. But uh, yeah, I think, look, we're, we're going to touch on it a little bit later on. But I think it, it, it would be fair to say that when Klopp came in, you kind of thought it was going to be at least sort of four or five years, maybe six, seven, eight, nine years would, would maybe be quite a long time now in football. But I think we always kind of knew it. at the very least it was medium term, but more likely it was probably going to be long term. Yeah, and uh, Emmett Klopp now the, the second longest serving manager in the Premier League, only Sean Dyche keeping him off top spot there. Um, how do you reflect on the on the six years so far and where Liverpool are now compared to where Klopp came in? <laughs> it's almost like night and day, you know, considering where the club is now to where, you know, the, the, the state that uh, he inherited the club in. Um, it's almost hard to believe that six years have flown by that quickly. Um, I mean, you think where Liverpool were, you know, the tail end of the Brendan Rodgers era, they were, what, like 10th in the Premier League. The wheels had firmly come off. Um, and I think kind of on reflection of the Rodgers Roger's time at the club, as Jamie Carragher kind of alluded to a couple of weeks ago, it probably came too early for him in his managerial um, career. Whereas if he was maybe to get the job now, maybe Rogers would have did a better job. Um, but yeah, Liverpool were not in a good place when Klopp came in. And uh, as Matt kind of said, with Klopp, it's, it is almost a project. You know, you, you can't expect results with Klopp straight off the bat. It takes time. He needs to bring in the players that he wants, mould existing players into how he, his philosophy of football. Um, and we've seen that, you know, Liverpool, the first couple of years under Klopp, were mixed to brilliant with the kind of absurd in a way. 
but now over the last couple of years, you know, the 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 patience, the patience that's been shown by the fans has paid off because some of the you know a lot of the football over the last let's say two three seasons has been exhilarating, and have won every trophy, all, all the big trophies, obviously the Champions League and the and the Premier League. Um, so yeah, the pay, you know the the wait has definitely been worth it. Yeah, for sure. But they'll need to be at their best with Watford on the horizon. Matt, is it an unfortunate time to come up against them with the sort of new manager bounce in full flow? Yeah, I think it possibly is. I think there's there's maybe a question mark when you have so many managers as Watford has. You know, does does a new manager bounce actually exist? I mean, you know, they, they have so many of them. I'm sure if uh, if it did exist for them, maybe they'd have a new manager for, for every single game. I don't know, but... Um, yeah, it's it's maybe not the best time to, to face Watford. You'd imagine, you know, the, the usual things of players wanting to, to prove themselves to a new manager, wanting to make sure that, you know, if they were, were regulars before, they have to, to remain that. If they weren't on the, the pitch regularly before, they want to, to get themselves into a position where they are. I think there's there's all those sort of obvious things to, to say around Watford's increase in performance. In terms of, like, sort of the fans being behind them and, and stuff like that, I'm... I don't know. I think a, a fair few Watford fans are, are kind of a bit split on on the model that they go through. I think I've seen a lot of people say, you know, it's it's the right thing. They've done it before and it's worked. A lot of other people would say, well, you know, maybe a different way could also work. And, and you look a bit more long term as maybe someone like a, a Burnley with Sean Dyche has, for example. It's obviously worked for them. Even someone like a, a Norwich, they've obviously stuck with their manager when they went down. He's brought them back up again. I think you know there's probably a few Watford fans that would prefer to to go down that sort of route. So, in terms of the fans, I think it's it's probably not going to make a huge difference. In terms of the players, possibly it might. But ultimately, Liverpool have have got far better caliber and, and far better quality on the pitch, even with a few injuries. So, it shouldn't really make too much of a difference. Liverpool have, have played far harder teams than Watford and, and beaten them. So, yeah, it's 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 probably. It's probably as bad a time as it could be to face Watford, but Liverpool should still win. Mm. Uh, Watford actually had a bit of a patented kind of new manager slump, didn't they, towards the end of their last day in the Premier League? They tried the tried the little new manager bounce trick with Pearson and then sacked him with what two two three games to go, and yeah, that that really didn't work out for them. So, as you say, Liverpool perhaps not as worried as they might be with with other teams changing the manager. Um, but Matt raised an interesting point there in terms of the way fans want things done and whether really there's one right way of doing things or not. Um, Emmett, you look at a team like Chelsea, who I suppose are the the big team equivalent of the the Watford model of sack and then get success. And if it doesn't come, sack again, hire again. And, you know, it seems to work for them. Do, Do you think there's a correct way of doing things or do you think it's just dependent on circumstances at different clubs? Yeah, I do think it is different circumstances at different clubs because when when you look at the the Chelsea's history it's almost head scratching you know they keep doing it time and time again they sack managers and they'll either get to Champions League finals or win Champions Leagues you know it kind of goes against you know logic that you sack a manager in the middle of a season and yet with the same group of players almost and then they end up winning things. You know, Goose Hitting, how many times has Goose Hitting come in in the middle of a season and delivered a trophy? You know, it's, it's Roberto, Roberto Di Matteo comes in and then they win the Champions League like three months later. Like, you you can't, you can't make it up. It all goes against logic, your know, football and logic. Um, but I don't think the Chelsea 
uh, way of doing things should not be replicated by other clubs because I think it's almost unique to Chelsea. Somehow, I don't know how they make it work, but they clearly do. Obviously, Thomas Tuchel coming in in January, taking over from Frank Lampard, the exact same group of players, and he takes them to winning their second Champions League. What? four or five months later, like, you can't, <laughs> what can you say? Like, it just makes no sense, but they, they seem to, it is a model that seems to work for Chelsea. It's just chaos, almost organised chaos. Um, but I think fans would more prefer, if you had the Chelsea model on one scale and the Liverpool model with Klopp on another, I think most fans would take the Klopp model, you know, long-term thinking, planning ahead, as opposed to just, you know, hiring and firing managers every six seven months um but yeah it's <laughs> it's I, I it's 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 hard to even articulate the, how chelsea managed to pull it off time and time again um as a i'm not a chelsea fan but i'm, I'm assuming you would think when a new manager comes in he's like oh yeah we might you know we might actually win something here because they have the history of it somehow um, but I think if you ask the average fan, yeah, they would want the, the Liverpool club model as opposed to the Chelsea, <laughs> the crazy Chelsea model. Yeah, I think even some Chelsea fans were kind of hoping there'd be a bit of a sea change with Lampard. I mean, they quickly forgot that when Lampard was out and took a one in the Champions League. And uh, <laughs> I'm sure they're over it. But yeah, there's definitely, I think, that kind of yearning from fans for, for some sort of stability, some kind of identity. Uh, the Liverpool way now, you can put your finger on it. It's it's essentially the Klopp way. It's become become the Liverpool way, um, which kind of leads on to the next question. And Matt, your favourite word again about projects. Um, do you think Liverpool will want another manager to build a project when it comes to the, uh, the dreaded post-Klopp era? Or do you think, given that Klopp's brought the success, there might be more of a switch to a, a slightly more ruthless approach to try and maintain that success? I think it will be very streamlined, to be honest. I think as long as they get the appointment right, there's no reason to to sort of switch that and change that. I think it, it comes from the top. It comes, well, at the moment, it, it comes from Michael Edwards. Obviously, what happens with his future, it might be Julian Ward at some point in the future or whoever else, you know, works in and around the, the analytics and the recruitment and all of that sort of thing. I think they will probably already have, uh, you know, a decent idea of, of who they want. I'm sure we'll come on to that a little bit later on in terms of possible names of, of who it could be and, and that sort of thing. And I think, you know, the, the plan will be to, to find another version of Klopp as difficult and as almost impossible as that is. I think what you want is, is to go down a similar route and give somebody time, give them the opportunity to, to move forwards and, and do things that, that they want to do in their own way, but also within that broad scheme of, of what Liverpool have done. And I, I just think as, as hard as it is to, to sort of find another version of Klopp, you know, whoever it might be that, that comes in, it, it just wouldn't make sense to move away from the model and you know, change things quickly and, and sort of have you know, one or two seasons with one manager and, and move to another one, unless there's an absolute necessity to, to chop and change. I just think the model as it is has worked really well. You know, obviously Klopp has, has been there and we've seen a steady increase. It's not necessarily going to be quite so simple for somebody else to come in and do that, not least because they're coming in presumably with a team that is challenging at the top of the Premier League rather than trying to get into the top four. It's obviously far harder to improve a team of that standing. So I think it, it will be very much a, a similar-ish sort of, of way of going about it. There is an argument to say that you could try something 
slightly different, not just in terms of, of the approach, but in terms of, of the manager, you might try different tactics. A different tactical approach or, or different sort of um, level of experience, whatever it might be. Um, but for me, the, the Klopp project has worked. So the next project should be very, very similar. Yeah. And uh, probably last thing for now on managers, but I was, I was thinking there in terms of what you were saying, Matt, do you think, I mean, how bad a season would Klopp have to have for FSG to pull the plug on him before the end of his contract, if there, if indeed there is anything he could do that would that would earn him the sack. Well, I think I think last season was probably as bad as it would ever get for Liverpool, wasn't it? I think that's a a testament to, to how poor it was for a, a period of time, and they still managed to finish third in the Premier League. I think even if Liverpool had finished well outside of, of the Champions League places last season, they'd be mad to, to sort of change it or, or do anything like that. I mean, in terms of how bad it would go, it's it's almost an impossible question because, I mean, what for a season, for, for Liverpool to, to finish outside, say, of, of the top six, even with no centre-backs, no midfielders, you know, all of the, the rest of the, the sort of stuff that went on last season, Outside of the top six would have been, you know, would have been a, a bad performance. It would have been a performance that you maybe would start to have a few questions about the management and stuff like that. But it was just never going to happen. They, they ultimately they finished ahead of Chelsea, the European champions, even with all of that chaos going on. So, yeah, it's it's hard to imagine. I think a season going worse than last season, even though of course they did actually finish it quite well. Yeah. Um, and to bring it back to Watford uh, coming up at the weekend, it's not just managers that are in and out the, the revolving door at Vicarage Road. It's players as well. Um, they've been pretty brutal in that department. 11 players came in this summer, had a quick look on transfer market, um, even more left on permanent deals, loan deals. Uh, it's a big contrast to Liverpool, isn't it, Emmett, where only Canate came in and then only four players actually left for a fee. So... Is there something to be said for stability in that sort of player department as well? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's kind of what the Pazzo family do. You know, uh, they, they do the same same model with Udinese, chop and change players every single summer. You know, there is almost they're like the anti-Liverpool in that they just they don't keep the same players around for many seasons. They're just sent on loan everywhere and anywhere. <laughs> um but I definitely do think there is something to be said for stability and keeping players. Obviously, you need to refresh a team. You know, you can't let a team go stagnant and keep the same players around forever. That was the the success of Sir Alex Ferguson's teams at Man- Manchester United all those years. He knew when to refresh the squad, even selling key players almost against the fans' wishes because he wanted to keep the team fresh and competitive. And you do need that. So there's a fine line between you know stagnation and keeping the same players for an extended period of time. Um, but I definitely do feel that's a better approach than the Pazzo family approach, which is just to bring in, you know, an influx of new players every single summer because it, uh, it ultimately it takes time for players to get used to each other, how they know and how they play, finding a rhythm. That takes time. Like, you're not just going to go in and hit the ground running and know exactly what player X and player Y which way they're going to run, how they like the ball, et cetera, et cetera. So stability is definitely needed in clubs, especially with someone like Clapp, who has a particular brand of football that takes time to get to grips with. And if you're bringing in, you know, if, if FSG brought in seven, eight new players every single year, it would take Clapp longer to get basically for them to 
um, to be moulded into the style that he wants and for Klopp to implement the type of football that he wants. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Emmett touched upon the sort of fine line there, Matt. Would you say that's the line Liverpool are generally towing correctly or do FSG ultimately need to do some more freshening up, do you think? I think it, it's just about been the right balance up to now. I think there's obviously always question marks if Liverpool don't go out and spend and, and don't bring one or two players in. We've said it plenty of times. I think for all of us, we'd quite like one or two more in the summer in, in certain areas, certainly in the attack, probably in, in midfield as well. But I think all it does is push that back to next summer. I think next summer has got to be sort of three or four players. It's not going to be wholesale changes, but I think there's certain question marks about the, the midfield next season. Obviously, there's question marks at the moment about Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, for example. In future, there might be certain question marks to, to think about in terms of you know, possibly Naby Keita. There's, there's a big decision to, to make on him over his contract because I think he's the, the same 2023. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong on that. But I think you know there's the, the certain question marks that you've got with this squad moving forward. Um, but up to this point, I think Liverpool have just about managed to get it right. They've kind of proven a few people wrong in terms of being able to... Um, get by with what they have almost. That's maybe not quite the, the best way of putting it because obviously their squad is is at a, a huge high standing, you know, within, you know, the, the entire world. There's not many squads which are, are better or, or more capable of challenging than Liverpool's. But I still think there is a little bit more to do. And, you know, Emmett's right there in terms of sort of freshening up and making sure that just because you've got a few players in a certain position or you're quite happy with a certain area doesn't mean that you can't necessarily go and add to that further. I think that was probably the thinking with Manchester City and, and Jack Grealish. Obviously, we've said it plenty of times. That again, there's a lot of players who can do a similar job to Grealish within that City squad, but maybe you know just that that extra fresh face, somebody to, to come and do something slightly different. It's a very expensive way of, of sort of solving that problem, but it is a solution for them. Again, there's question marks over their recruitment in terms of should they have got a number nine, do they probably need a left back? Yeah, I think they probably do, probably more than than what they needed Greenish in. But I think that was probably the explanation for for why they did that. So there is there there is obviously a need to get that balance right. And as long as there is an acceptance that next summer there is sort of three or four players that come in, I think it will still be the right balance. But it is very difficult. You know, it's it's hard to know with the Mohamed Salah contract at the moment, for example. It's it's hard to know. You know, should Liverpool be giving him? You know, four or five year contract? Should it be two, three years? What sort of money should that be on? There are lots of unknowns that, that sort of come into this. So, yeah, there, there's still plenty of question marks in, in simple terms. I think up to now, they've just about got it right. But again, next summer, there's going to be a big question mark. And, you know, each, each summer that goes past, each season that goes past, it's going to be another question of have they just about got it right rather than have they definitely? It, it's always going to be a bit of a question mark. It's an interesting point about contracts, which we'll come on to in a second. But I just want to briefly go to you, Emmett, in terms of do you think we're maybe seeing this freshening up almost just by degrees rather than in in one fell swoop? It's probably gone under the radar, but in the sense that Diego Jota's come in and is starting to integrate now. He's only 24. You've got Canate, obviously hasn't featured very much yet. But again, towards the future and even someone like Harvey Elliott before the injury, to one you know, through the through the youth ranks, I mean, bought from bought from Fulham, but then, you know, had the season with the youth team and then then the loan. 
Um, do you think maybe Liverpool don't get enough credit for the fact that there is that sort of freshening up going up going on already? Yeah, I mean, I think we live in a we live in a football landscape where fans want you know a new, fresh, shiny tie every summer. You know, that costs tens of millions of pounds. Whereas Liverpool have brought in Harvey Elliott and even with Curtis Jones. You know, Curtis Jones has mm. come in now due to injuries to Thiago and Naby Keita. And it does go under the radar because they didn't cost anything. You know, fans want, you know, whoever, you know, an MR and a Mbappe or whoever, you know, if, if, if they don't cost tens of millions of pounds, it's like, oh, they're underinvesting. But Liverpool have been freshening up. And maybe you could say it's out of necessity due to the injuries of Abigail and Thiago and obviously Genie Wijnaldum leaving. He wasn't replaced. So that's how Harvey, Harvey Elliott was then brought in on the right side of midfield. But then he got injured, and so Curtis Jones has now come in. So yeah, I think Liverpool don't get the credit, and it but, but and it's because it's due to the fact that they're not out spending millions of pounds in bringing in a replacement, which is what the modern fan wants to see. Yeah, uh, I can I can already sense the the comment section complain about this. So maybe I'll go to to a more a more probing question that can uh, that can question Liverpool a bit more, uh, and that's. Coming back to your point on contracts, Matt, uh, Liverpool are so sort of data-driven and smart in the market that it feels odd to kind of accuse them of sentimentality. But then you look at the new deals for well, the likes of Origi a couple of seasons ago and more recently, to a lesser extent, Henderson, given that he was already tied down until 2023, there's some some question marks as to whether whether that extension was really needed. Do you think there is some element of that kind of sentimentality creeping in or do you think these are all still footballing decisions first and foremost I think it's it's probably somewhere in between I think it's it's a footballing decision in terms of you're protecting a, a value of Origi at a time when you know maybe there wasn't the the buyers available maybe he didn't want to leave obviously at the time of the new contract he's just had the best period of his Liverpool career he scored in a Champions League final he's done all of the the things that he was getting huge praise for and he could probably see at the time that that would then mean that he could kick on and, and maybe have a few more minutes the following season. Maybe in hindsight, he, he probably made a mistake and, and Liverpool probably made a mistake in, in not cashing in him in on him at, at the time. But you can kind of see the the, the logic behind that. And you know, similarly with with Henderson, it, it's probably you know fair to say that his injury record isn't the best. There are better midfielders out there. That, that's not to say that he's not a very, very good one, but I think there's there's other elements that, that come into it with him as well in terms of the leadership. You know, there the were certain suggestions from some quarters during the summer that if Henderson didn't get a new contract, he might move on. I don't think that would have happened. I think it would have been, you know, if he hadn't assigned, he would have just played out the rest of his, his contract and, and maybe moved on then. But obviously the, the new contract put an end to, to any of that speculation. But, you know, the, the suggestion that Liverpool could lose Genie Wijnaldum and Jordan Henderson in the same summer would never have happened, for example. So I suppose it, it sort of comes back to, to being incremental, like you said before. It, it's got to be a slow, gradual process. It can't just be that you get rid of all the players that are over 30 and replace them all with ones that are 10 years younger. It just doesn't doesn't work like that. So, yeah, there's there's a few different factors that, that come into it, but... I don't know sentimentality. I don't think I don't think that quite comes into it. I think it's it's probably more a case of of just protecting the value, making sure that 
you know, if if they do sell Origi, it's for the right amount of money. And look, that could backfire. It, it could mean that in a couple of years' time, when his his contract does run out, no one's come in and, and bought him, and Liverpool lose him for free. But yeah, the, the the reverse of that is that if COVID hadn't have happened, if all of the, the sort of uncertainty around the, the market didn't happen, maybe there would have been a buyer somewhere else. So, yeah, it's it's a bit of a calculated gamble, I think, that one. It was a mistake, but it's only a mistake in hindsight. Hmm. And coming full circle on that point, Emmett, do you think maybe Liverpool could benefit from being a little bit more like Watford in this one very specific way in terms of just that kind of ruthlessness on player contracts? I mean, you look at specific examples, maybe... They decided to cash in on Igalo a few seasons ago, didn't they? Banked fifty odd million from China or something mad, um, despite the fact that he was he was scoring well. I mean, it's it's not directly comparable to Origi, but it, that in the sense that he'd hit form and the club sensed maximum value and cashed in and reinvested. Do you think do you think that's maybe what Liverpool need to be looking more to do, or are you happy with with the current model? Um, I think you walk a fine line between. You know, striking with an iron is hot, and in a situation like Origi, where if Liverpool had have sold them two years ago, they could have maybe received 20, 30 million for him off the back of his Champions League exploits. Whereas now, you know, he didn't really play what he played like nine games last season in all competitions. You know, Klopp clearly sees him as a, a periphery player, but the fact that he wasn't playing. In addition to, as Matt talked about, with the pandemic, meant that there was no real suitors for him. <laughs> because he wasn't playing, he's not in the shop window, and therefore clubs aren't really willing to take a punt on him when money is tight. Um, I mean, it is something you could maybe look at, say, the, the Mo Salah situation. So should Liverpool sell him now when they could, you know, get the most profit for him? Or do you just sign him to a contract for the next two or three years and then let him walk away for next to nothing. You know, it's kind of, what do you do? Do you do you let him go and rake in maybe 100 million, 120 million, reinvest that in the squad, bring in maybe two or three more world-class players? Or you know, it's <laughs> it's a conundrum, really. It's do you stick or twist? It's it's hard it's hard to say. And obviously, it's only the benefit of hindsight further down the road where we know if the club make the right decision but it is it's very difficult and but there is a history of clubs you know doing that well you know striking when a player is at the at the peak of his form and selling them but again it all depends on your replacements if the replacements aren't good enough then the club look foolish so it is a very fine line to walk yeah it's there's no there's no right answers until as you say they become clear in hindsight and i I wouldn't fancy being the one making the call um just to end we'll we'll circle back around to managers uh, and i'll I'll put this question to both of you so imagine the scenario the worst happens Klopp leaves at the end of this season i don't know why but let's just let's just go with it um you can bring in one manager to try and deliver as much silverware as possible in 2022-23 so we're going down the the sort of Watford Chelsea route. Who who do you want for that kind of? This is the man who can bring us success in the short term. Um, Matt, we'll start with you. Yeah, it's a it's a tough one, isn't it? In the short term, I think when it comes to Klopp leaving, a lot of it will come down to timing in terms of who's available, who's about. If we're talking at the end of of this season, for example, I think that the favourite 
for me would be Julian Nagelsmann, but that's not going to happen at the end of this season because he's only just gone to, to Bayern Munich. You'd expect that he'd be there for three or four years. Just in terms of the immediate success, short-term success, I think probably Antonio Conte is the first one that comes to mind. Just, you know, on, on sort of previous spells at, at other clubs, it doesn't necessarily last a long time, but he can come in and have that same sort of charisma almost as, as Klopp. He's certainly a bit of a, an, an animated character on the, the sidelines. There's There's certain sort of things that you could sort of see aligning with Klopp and it would work in the short term. Be interesting to see actually if it worked maybe longer term at Liverpool for him than it would maybe at certain other clubs. There's maybe a few less superstar players. There's a few sort of less egos within the dressing room maybe compared to, to one or two of his, his previous clubs. But yeah, I think in terms of, of short term success, once upon a time, the answer would have been Jose Mourinho. But I think uh, Antonio Conte is, is the one that stands out to me. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see the Liverpool team and his system as well. This sort of depth at centre-back and then obviously Trent and Robertson as, as wing-backs would be an interesting proposition. Um, but Emmett, who, who are you appointing in this hypothetical? Um, I'm kind of the same as Matt. I will go uh, Julian Agelsman because I, I, obviously we're talking hypothetical here. You know, he kind of he would be a continuation of Klopp and the same type of system, the same brand. But if we're just talking hypotheticals, if you're looking someone to win here and now, you have to go with Conte. He's just, he's almost as close to a, a certain guarantee of winning trophies. You know, there's no one better and who's available than Conte. Um, he he has almost turned into like this decade's version of Mourinho, where he comes in, he wins, and then he leaves chaos behind him <laughs> when he leaves. But it is interesting in that. When he initially joined Juventus in 2011, his his first season, he played a 4-3-3. That was the system that he played the most. And then he kind of stumbled across a 3-5-2 because he had three really good super or uh, center defenders in Giorgio Chiellini, Leonardo Bonucci and Andrea Berzagli. And then that's when the 3-5-2, Antonio Conte, then came, that kind of became his, his standard uh, system. So, I mean, he could revert back to a 4-3-3 at Liverpool, considering they've been playing 4-3-3 throughout Klopp's reign. Um, or, obviously, Liverpool have a wealth of central defenders now, so he could try to implement a 3-5-2, and we could see Virgil van Dijk, Abrahima Kanate, and your favourite, James, Joel Matip, all starting together. Um, but the thing is, you just have to... Do you want to take the baggage... That comes with Conte, the continual whining about not getting this player and that player, and you know he's not a man to hold in his feelings. He will, he will say them publicly what's on his mind. But as Matt said as well, he shares the same intensity as Klopp on the sideline, and he will again like Klopp. He will make players better. You only have to look at the Italy side that he inherited and he took to the quarterfinal of Euro 2016, which is arguably the worst Italian side in 50 years and they were penalty kicks away from making it into the semi-final so Conti has shown that he can work with what he has he demands signings but he also can work within a certain type of framework and Liverpool squad you know as we've kind of talked about is pretty good as is so yeah Conti I think would be he'd be, he'd be the obvious candidate to take over 
Well, Emmett, you've paid off your debt there by giving a shout out to Joel Matip. Uh, he did a piece the other day, did a piece the other day on on the three best signings of the Klopp era, and I was I was horrified to see Matip not make the cut, uh, even in the notable mention section. Outrageous! But um, yeah. I'm sorry, forgive me. <laughs> you're for, you're forgiven now, um, and that is a. An interesting note on which to end, but I've, I've enjoyed our discussion. Thank you very much to Matt and to Emmett. This has been the Liverpool.com podcast, and I hope you'll join us again next week. You've been listening to the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo.